0: Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, get us talking, get us connected. As part of our Connections radio show, we co-produce programs that address cultural identities, celebrating the richness of multicultural voices and sharing cultural perspectives and insights. We discuss needs and opportunities for multicultural communities and allies. And we want to address challenges in working towards creating true social justice and equity. Our show is about doing it with straight talk. And together, we're hopeful that meaningful change is possible and inclusion for all. Today, our show is co-produced with the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and the potential of all individuals is important. Welcome, Melissa. Yeah.
1: Good morning, Lori. So excited to be
0: here. Oh, just always wonderful to have you on the first Saturday of the month where we celebrate the Diversity Institute and all the good things that you're doing and have good straight talk conversations.
1: Yes, we're so I'm just lucky to be able to do what I love.
0: Yes, and you do it well. So before we jump into the show, tell me a little bit about how the summit went.
1: Well, the summit actually went really well. We had a award for Lifetime Fitness and I'm so proud of Lifetime Fitness and the work that uh, they're doing over there at um, Lifetime. Their diversity um, program is really, really awesome and the diversity director David Patron Suave, he talks about the diversity bonus Ah. and when he first mentioned it, I actually took a a double double take. I said the (laughs) You're giving people bonuses now. So, no, no, no. There's a bonus that comes from diversity. Yeah, the business case as well as,
0: you know, something bigger. It's about building out another way of living, I think. Right. Right. And there is there is a bonus to multicultural. There is a bonus to celebrating who we are. But sometimes there's you know challenges in navigating, and words can take on baggage, and ideas um, can all sometimes are um, are met with emotional reactions. And that's why I really appreciated the opportunity to have these this last year for us to be looking at the racial uh, healing handbook. Uh, written by Annalise Singh and being able to go chapter by chapter uh, because yeah. I think in order to have that that sense of celebration and, and understanding the diversity bonus, I think we have to do a little bit of healing that allows us all to be on the same page.
1: Yeah, and we all need healing because we've all, we've all been racialized.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it seems sometimes that it's racialized almost bifurcated. You're either white or a person of color. <laughs> sort of checking off the box, like that's all there is. Binary, right? Right. Very binary. Very, very. And and I've also been thinking about racial healing in the context of sometimes I have um, people come up to me, and it's usually white people that are Almost whispering it, like, "Well, don't you really think that all lives matter?" Kind of wanting my permission, like, you, you know, aren't we all all important? And and yes, you know, I, my initial reaction used to be like, "Seriously?" Um, but as I've been thinking more about it and processing, why do I keep having individuals come up to me about this? Is that I think that there's uh, discomfort um, and and around the sense of privilege. And Mm -hmm. there's just not an acknowledgement that some lives are privileged and some lives are oppressed. And when there's oppression, we need to declare it as mattering. It matters that some people are oppressed, and we need to make changes in our culture to work towards equity. uh, but I think it comes down to that whole discomfort around privilege and oppression. What You know, those are big words that can be stumbling blocks that, that have a yes, whole lot can. of stuff
1: with it. Well, you know, I actually heard a great um, analogy for the All Lives Matter. And this young man said, if your house was on fire and the fire department came and they started spraying water on a house that was not on fire, and said, "Well, this your house is on fire, but all houses matter. Exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna make sure these other houses are okay before we put the fire out.
0: What I love about that that's almost like uh, looking at there can be actual damage. Because <laughs> <laughs> you imagine your house being flooded because some you know well meaning person wants to make sure that your your house matters. I mean, and and what right. it does is actually flood it." Uh, it doesn't address right. the need that's there.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and, I think some. And, and it definitely doesn't address the need that there's someone in in dire straits. Yeah. Someone's on fire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, I think people feel uncomfortable with privilege because it sounds elitist, that you're bad, that somehow you're better than. And, and, and I think the conflict is I'm not a bad person. I mean, I wouldn't do bad things to people. And then I also think oppression, you know, we've talked earlier about oppression doesn't feel real good either. I mean, it feels like there's a helplessness. No, it has that
1: connotation. And it makes people feel like, well, I'm not oppressing anybody. But even the person
0: who may be oppressed may not want that title, right? Because that means that you're less than somehow or a victim or, you know, there's something. And and there's this sort of fighting back. No, no, no. But I'd like to, at least for purposes of today, kind of change some of our definitions, um, and maybe privilege is – Privilege makes things easier, and oppression makes things harder. It just does, you know. There, right? And and there are things that um, white people have, as for being white, that makes it easier. And I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking back of a, an experience I, when I was in my twenties. I had a very dear friend, and I loved her family, and I loved her grandmother, and her grandmother and I just adored each other. Her name was Eunice. And Eunice knew I was coming over for dinner and called me and asked me to come earlier. And Eunice asked me to return a slip. And I won't mention the retail establishment, but it was a large box and wanted me to return the slip because whenever she's tried to return something, they make her feel bad and that maybe giving the innuendo that somehow you know she stole it or what's going on and a lot of critical and she knew that if i return the slip with the receipt they wouldn't question me wow and that just made me feel you know like what and and she didn't want to tell her granddaughter and how her grand because she didn't want her granddaughter to go through it and she didn't want to get into a fight with her grandmother with her granddaughter and yeah. just said i know you'll do this for me know I know and to me that was like a perfect example of it's easier for me to return a slip than it is for mm -hmm. you
1: I had a friend tell me uh, a white male friend of mine told me he said when he was a young kid his he say to his dad hey dad I want to learn about this or that and his dad would look in his Rolodex find someone in his network that could do that and um get his son a job working with that person as either an apprentice, an intern, whatever his son came up with, some kooky idea about what he wanted to learn about. His father had an opportunity for him to be mentored by someone. No um, black person that I know had that opportunity.
0: The Rolodex. I mean, it is privileged to have that Rolodex and connections, right? Yeah. And I think we all want to be seen, to be heard. But just the
1: privilege, and the privilege of having an idea or a dream. Yes, and having it nurtured and supported. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are a lot of young people in the BIPOC community who are artists, singers, dancers, um, engineers, scientists who don't have the support or the resources. And their parents don't have the network or the resources to connect them to other people who are doing the things that these young people want to do, right? That's why I teach and talk to people all the time about mentoring the young Mm -hmm. from um, different communities, Try and be a mentor. I have a mentor that's from a different background than mine.
0: And opening up the connections opening up yeah. the Rolodex so it's not hey, just, it's it, you know, it, it becomes yeah. a community Rolodex. How do we create community Rolodex of opportunity? Yeah. And, but I think it's also important just to put it out there as we're doing our racial healing is to admit that some in our culture are able to do things more easily and some face barriers. Can, can we start with yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, you know, there's some that makes it easy. There's some that have access really easily to that Rolodex, and that there's others that don't have access, and there's a barrier for them I think to get that,
1: that there's a And then I think we need to talk about the color line because that that the some that do and the haves and the have-nots, a lot of it, a lot of that has to do with color. Yeah,
0: right. I also think that sometimes when we're feeling the guilt and shame around privilege. There becomes a defensiveness um, yes. because uh, we don't really want to look at it. And, and there's a part of me that thinks that even getting defensive and emotional is part of privilege because if we just sort of not do not want to look at it and just can say, well, all lives matter, it can check off the box and not have us need to look more deeply and right. look at status quo. If we just get emotional and stomp our feet, well, all lives matter and I don't even want to think about this. Well, that's going to just continue the status quo. If we don't recognize that there are uh, paths that are more easy because our culture has recognized and supported the empowering of white and they have not always been empowering uh, other cultures – So what does that look like? And if our country is based on an idea that all people are created equal, it really is up to us to look at what is equality? What is equity?
1: Right. And do we really need equality or do we really need equity? You know, I was Mm -hmm. talking with someone the other day, we were talking about Dr. King and equality. And um, some folks said, you know, Well, Dr. King talked about equality. Shouldn't we be pushing for equality? Well, equality is good in some instances, and equality is not useful in other instances. And a great example is if if we decided that Connections Radio wanted to ship out a gift to every listener, and we sent every listener a pair of size 9 tennis shoes, same color, same size. To Absolutely every equal listener. Absolutely that's equality. Equal.
0: Absolutely right? equal. Everyone's getting size nine. Might
1: not fit. Right. <laughs> Might not fit. Right? That's equality though. Yeah. In equity, we ask each listener what is your favorite pair of shoes and what is your shoe size? Yeah. So that we can get them what they need. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's equity. So in some cases, equality is good, and in some cases equity is better.
0: Well, I know today our aim is to be looking at how do we value our culture, How do we value our race? And it's yes. important for us to value. but it's more it is more complex than white and people of color. There's a lot yeah. of identities that we have outside of our race. So in That's our next right. segment in our next segment, I'd love for um, you and I to talk about what are some identities that we feel strongly about, that we care about, that we think are important, that are outside of our race. And then Mm -hmm. I'd love to tease out how do those identities um, intersect with race? What does that look like? So we're doing these conversations not only because, you know, Melissa and I like to talk about this, (laughs) but we also wanna put ourselves out there in a vulnerable way and challenge each other And in this way, encourage our audience to be thinking about what kind of conversations can you have like this? Um, So as we have these conversations, uh, we're going to open up the uh, call-in, if you'd like to call in and and throw in some of your ideas as well. But this is really about having the tough conversations, having sometimes the uncomfortable conversation, and uh, allowing us to, to navigate things that we don't know and hopefully find some things to take out of it to become more deeply connected. So, thanks for being with us today. Stay with us for the next segment as we start to look at what are some identities outside our race and how does that impact our race? And ultimately, how do we value our race? Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. So glad that you've joined us today. We're having straight talk conversation about uh, racial healing. What does that mean? And as part of our Connections Radio Show, we co-produce these some of these programs with wonderful organizations and individuals. Today our show is co-produced with the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director. And she is my co-host today. Welcome, Melissa. Hi Lori, thanks for having me. Such a good conversation. I mean, I, I think it's really important for us to keep looking at racial healing. And I yeah. and I think it's also important to look at, you know, how do we define privilege in terms of making things easier and oppression as making things harder.
1: And I like those two definitions. I really do because it's about, you know, I try to explain privilege as the privilege of being born with white skin. Mm -hmm. Right. And no one had any say so over how they were going to be born. Absolutely. And America is created based off of a white middle-class culture. So the lighter your skin or the whiter your skin, the more successful you're going to be. But, we also have to think about the privilege. Like I have a privilege of my sight and the world is created for the seeing. So I have the privilege of seeing, mm-hmm. right? And other people have the privilege, don't have the privilege of seeing. Mm-hmm. So it's important for us to think about not just the whiteness of our skin mm-hmm. as being a privilege, but our sight, our hearing, our abilities um, are also privileged, which kind of Segues into what you're talking about, Lori, with the intersectionality of us, right? Each of us being this multi-person,
0: multi-person, and yes, also acknowledging that having sight makes it a whole lot easier to navigate in our society because we're really set up for visually inclined (laughs) in a lot of things that we do. So, I think that's a great example of taking it outside. You know, if a person. If a person um, says that a part of their identity that it's important to them is that they're blind and they they need recognition for that, not a whole lot of people are going to say you know an important identity for me is that I see.
1: Well, right,
0: it's it's sort of our society set up so that we support the sight. <laughs> And it's it's right. something we take for granted in many t- ways, and it's a privilege that we're in that things are much easier. You're able to drive a car, and you're able to see signs, and you're able to do a lot of you things
1: You're to get around, right. go to the right. movies. Yeah, right? it's a
0: lot easier when you have sight. Um, but does that make it, are you oppressed when you are blind um, to a certain degree? Yes, it it is harder, and there there is things that are not taken uh, into consideration. Because you And know,
1: there was a long time where people who had disabilities were not even considered in the workplace, mm-hmm. and we're still seeing people with um, disabilities or dealing with exactly. disabilities, and that who that, are struggling to find employment.
0: And that's that is a form of oppression. Um, yes, it is a form of y- you are not. It is more difficult, and it's not as um, easy as it is for someone else. So. Right. That's where we're going in terms of looking at privilege and oppression. But we're also looking at there's a whole lot of different identities of who we are outside of our race. Um, yes. And so in our conversation today, Melissa and I committed to looking at what are three important identities outside our race. And I'm going to have you go first, Melissa. What are three important yes. identities that you um, value and see as important that,
1: that are outside of your race? Yeah, for me, it's always been that I'm a gay woman and that I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Um, These three things make me who I am, um, uh, along with my race. Um, But I really feel like, you know, when I get up in the morning and I get ready to go outside of my house, at the top of my mind are are the fact that I am a gay woman and God forbid um, anyone should want to um, interact with me in a harmful way because of that identity or those identities.
0: And for me, I mean, I identify very strongly and it's important to me to be uh, that I am a woman. Um, As a woman, I look at how am I showing up? in a patriarchal we're still in a patriarchal i looked up arch ar- i looked up ar- because i'm like there's ma- you know uh monarchy and patriarchy and uh, what is archy is rule so we're under a rule still uh, and mm-hmm. searching to mm-hmm. find out you know what's archy where we can just have our own right. rule uh, but as a woman Um, I remember there was a time in the 70s where women couldn't have uh, a checkbook. Wow. In the 20s, we got the right to vote. Um, A woman is still trying to find what things do I own and decisions that I can have uh, as a woman – And I think that impacts – now, we'll talk in the next segment about how this impacts our race. I think there are different ways that a white woman and a a woman of color might have different oppressions and different privileges. Um, But there's still a sense of being owned um, as a woman and what decisions can I make for myself, even decisions about my body. It, do I own? Do I have the the privilege of, of making those decisions? And there are some states that have less uh, ability to make those decisions. Um, but to me, being a woman, um, I'm also – identity that's very important to me is uh, being related in in causes that uh, allow me to help be part of making connections. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. I also see myself as uh, an identity that I have is that I have had multi-regional roots growing up. And as I thought about it, it really is because my dad was in the military. And even though we weren't moving from base to base, we were moving from military contract to the next. And the whole identity of the military is a little different than the typical culture. Um, That identity has its own sort of interesting culture that – has a uh, there's a bonding in in if you're a military brat i was both a military brat and an aerospace brat <laughs> during the um during the rocket ship era of the 60s and 70s uh mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. those are identities that are separate from me being white but they there's impact um racially um on how they're expressed yes and I noticed that we are already over our second segment. So why don't we in go into our third segment, and and in there do a deeper dive in as to what ways the these intersections of our identities and race reflect oppression and privilege. How's that sound, Melissa?
1: Sounds like a
0: plan. All right, we'll be right back after some commercials, and we'll talk more about that intersectionality and bottom line. How is that impacting oppression and privilege? Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host, and today our show is co-produced with the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute, and I have Melissa Adams, who is the President and Executive Director, as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and the potential of all individuals is important. Welcome, Melissa. Melissa.
1: Hi, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. Well,
0: I love all our first Saturdays of the month where we're looking at the Racial Healing Handbook, which we highly recommend, uh, Anjali Singh. It's a great handbook that gives uh, ideas to think about. And we have made the commitment this last year to be going through the book and having you and I talk about the issues that that Anjali brings up in the book and have straight talk conversations on them
1: yeah and I think the most important thing people can do is think about how do you want to heal from the racialization that has been put upon all of us right um as citizens of the great u s a and we're all I love like, this country, right? And right. I don't mean to to have anyone think that I don't. I just think that we all need to do some healing right now,
0: and we all have been hurt by it and and i what I right. love about that is that. Um, we value our race. We don't do race ba- bashing on this show. Um, nope. <laughs> it's about being able to value who we are, do a deeper dive in who we are. And we also look at privilege and oppression, you know, a- as a sort of one of the navigating guides for right. understanding why things have happened. And for today's discussion, we've, we've looked at privilege privileges, making things easier and oppression is making things harder. And, and I promised in this section that we would be um, looking at the ways our many identities impact and intersect with race. And it can be reflected in both privilege and oppression. So, yes. Melissa, go back and share what, what three identities you're kind of doing a deeper dive in in looking how that intersects um, with your race. Well,
1: for me, it is the fact that I am a gay woman from Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, lived in Brooklyn my whole life. Well, lived in Brooklyn most of my life and lived in New York my whole life and moved to Minnesota in 2010. So a lot of my identity um, has New York and Brooklyn baked in. I am very direct. I can be uh, a little bit too direct in some situations. Um, and then the identity of being a gay person in the United States is also very strong for me. I am um, married. I've been married to my childhood sweetheart now for about ten years. We've known each other for twenty-five, um, and my my whole identity, like that, um, you know, you think of it in terms of the Eminem's shell. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of folks are able to keep their identity encased in a shell Mm -hmm. so people don't necessarily see that identity or think they can see that identity with me being a gay woman people can see that i am gay when they see me so that exterior shell is where i'm wearing that identity right and sometimes that can be really trying going into public spaces um So, and then the identity of being a woman, also, I hold that near and dear to my heart. Many issues that um, have to, many women's issues are issues that I also advocate for and are issues that are pain, that pain me. Um, So, yeah, my identity as a gay woman from Brooklyn is really like wrapped up into who I am. And it also impacts how I see the world. Mm You know, I was telling you the other day, Lori, that being from Brooklyn, you kind of have this um, hyper vigilance around you where you have a higher sense of security, where you need to feel secure wherever you go. Because in New York, you got to be careful. You could get your purse snatched, or you could get your pocket picked, or any your car could get stolen. Your apartment could get robbed. Like, New York is a... a higher crime rate city so you have this hyper vigilance around crime um when i moved to minnesota a great example is uh cecilia would leave her car door unlocked um and i'd be like are you gonna leave that car door unlocked like that all night
0: (laughs) (laughs) but digging a little deeper in that how do you think that intersects with being black
1: oh boy yeah being a black gay woman from brooklyn yeah Even, um, so as a gay person, there's so much oppression. As a woman, there's so much oppression, right? Obviously, being from Brooklyn means that I was born and raised in poverty. There's some oppression there. And you wrap around that, my Blackness, and you can just see that um, I've dealt with lots of oppression in my lifetime. And when I talk about oppression, I see oppression as stifling my identity.
0: Not allowing you to have the full range of opportunity to express yourself.
1: Right. That is oppressing my identity. That's trying to keep me down from um, expressing who I am to the world. Not allowing the world to see me as my full authentic self. And we oppress people's identities all the time when we say, "Well, why aren't you married yet? When are you guys going to have kids?"
0: And that is sort of expectations then that are layered on. That right? How, how do you how do you untangle that? And, and I think there's also sometimes with women it, it, when you ask like, "When are you going to get married yet?" It's that whole sense of why aren't you following the traditional path? And then there's right. suspicion around. You know that I'm putting air quotes traditional. Uh, you know, w- what does that look like, and why aren't you following? that? For many years, I was, um, I was, I married later in life, and it was interesting to see some of the differences between um, when people found out that you weren't married. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. why is that? <laughs> <laughs> you, you seem like you should be married. <laughs> what does that right. mean? What does that mean? And it, I, I think that being a woman and white, there is that um, on the one hand, there's still struggling to find out um, who I am as an individual with my own ability to have my own decisions and my own rights, um, not needing permission. We're still kind of working through all of that. But as a white woman, I do have privileges um, mm-hmm. and, and Interesting. I think a lot of women that um, I've met recently who are wanting to go into diversity and inclusion work, um, I think to myself, there seems to be a lot more white women that are wanting to do that. You know, what's that about? Well, I think at one level, there's an understanding that ownership is not a good thing (laughs) and that a lot of the oppression is about – not not being able to own our decisions and not being able to have access to connections, um, we're dependent and forced into a dependency situation. Um, yes, and and that's not healthy for anyone. And so I think there's a kindred spirit, but there are things that still um, we have it easier because we're white, and there's just the fact. And I shared the story in that first segment about how um, I can return something and maybe not be questioned as much um, in terms of, you know, why am I returning this and uh, the innuendos that can happen um, with a a culture of suspicion outside of the white culture. Mm -hmm. So I think there are privileges and oppressions, and I think that, that women in our deepest way connect with others who are oppressed. And so that that's the natural inclination. But I think as a white person, I have responsibilities as being privileged to support the connections, to have folks seek how to connect the dots of what oppression is. Um, and that if – we've talked about it, Melissa, where sometimes if we've given programs where – Um, me saying some things to white people may come off differently than you saying things to white people. Um, I can perhaps sometimes challenge white people in a different way and that is a responsibility I think that comes out of if I am going to go into a field of diversity inclusion, what is my responsibility to support? What is my responsibility to address other white audience, white cohorts, white friends, whatever, um, to talk about things that are important? And hopefully looking at things differently so that we don't slump into the, I just don't want to feel guilty and, oh, it's not my fault. That happened 100 years ago. Well, no, it's happening right now. <laughs> Oppression right. is happening right now. And right. we have the privilege to, to do things differently. Um, and we can make influence.
1: Yes, we certainly can. And we can use our influence to exact change. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, well, in exploring all these things, um, you know, we could go a deeper dive into all of these things. You know, how does, you know, growing up in kind of a, a military style <laughs> family, gro- moving around a lot, how did that um, impact? I look back and I, I was very privileged to live all over the, the country. Um and that's part of my privilege. It makes things easier for me. If I were to go to the West Coast or the East Coast or the Midwest, I've lived in, in each of those. Um, it mm-hmm. also helps me connect. So then what is my responsibility in bringing up things that I see that are harder for others and we doesn't need to be? We, we can create a better place. Um, and so it's finding yes. what's my role as an ally.
1: Exactly.
0: Well, in our next segment, we've run over, of course, (laughs) because we always do. Um, But our next segment, let's talk about what ways can we continue to value who we are and not make judgments about ourselves, but start to look at how can we talk with others about uh, oppression and privilege in ways that are more comfortable for us to talk about. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back and um, talk more about that. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. And today our show is co-produced with the Stanton Adams Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes the diversity is everybody's business. And the potential of all individuals is important. So today we've been taking the pulse of our multiple identities. And how do we continue to look at... Uh, oppression and privilege, and how, and we're, we framed oppression and privilege as yeah, making things easier and making things harder, and how do we continue to value our identities? We don't need to bash it, but we need to look at, you know, what things do we have that's easier for us that may be harder for others, and then how can that perhaps lead to a greater empathy and connection? So, Melissa, my friend, Talking about these issues, we both – we talked earlier about how important it is to think about taking these questions out into your community as an audience member. How comfortable are you in starting to talk about it? If not, maybe you want to just get the book and start doing some of the exercises on your own. And when you start to feel confident about bringing it to others, how do you open up? What do you think? What are ways to make this – Ripple out into the community, Melissa.
1: Well, I think first people want to take some time to uh, learn about themselves. And I think that self-awareness is going to be super important. so I always tell folks, especially my white um, colleagues and um, program participants that are taking classes with me, I tell them to do the Ancestry.com DNA test.
0: That is interesting, isn't it?
1: Yeah. That's going to help them to learn what is your identity. Unfortunately, we all have bought into this idea of racialization. Yeah. That you're white and I'm black. That polarizing language, black and white, right? So you're not white. I'm not black. Yeah. My people are from Nigeria. I learned this through doing my ancestry DNA test, right? If you did your test, Lord, you would find out so much about your people. You find out probably the twelve ethnicities that I, are and, a, a part of who you are.
0: And I have. And what also is fun about ancestry, and I, I didn't, we, we we didn't plan to talk about this today. <laughs> it's great that it came up. But the great thing is, is that you also might get contacted by your relative. To you know, yes. find out. Well, I've been contacted by this wonderful black woman in the UK, and I'm like, I'm related. I love it. <laughs>
1: awesome. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs>
0: Chantal and I have been uh, talking back and forth, and it's just and she's we're trying to figure out how we're related and whatnot. But you know, it's it's fabulous. gosh, that's
1: amazing. It looks
0: like. So, do, do we have a caller? No, no, we don't have a caller. Okay, sorry. <laughs>
1: it, it, I saw so, it, something go up. So, um, so tell. It's amazing, though. You're yeah, right. It, it yeah. allows you to help. Now, I tell people first find out who you are, find out about your own identity. The way you and I have sat here today and said the three most important parts of my identity are. Um, X, Y, and Z. People need to know that about themselves, too. And, and it turns right, out we
0: we do have a caller. I thought we did. It looks like we're coming in.
2: Lynette, my good friend Lynette, how are you? Hi, I'm fine. Um, I, I, I'm sorry for calling so late in the show. I, I just finally had something to call in with. You know, another thing, I'm a white woman, and um, one thing I guess that's now become an apparent white-color privilege is denying the history yes. and the actuality of, you know, racism. And I, as a white person, I'm like, what, we can't even talk about it? What is that?
0: Exactly. Down in Texas, they're trying to ban words. They're trying to ban equity as a word that you can use. Multicultural is a word that you can use. I mean, it's like we want to erase and have everything be pretty so that we don't change. And I'm so glad you brought that up. It's, it's part of my frustration and it's part of my privilege to just try and almost uh, gaslight our whole racial inequality history in our
2: country. Well, to me, it's not even intelligent. It's, it's, I don't even know, it's denial to the utmost degree. And it makes me sad because I'm a white person and I don't feel diminished by talking about real actuality.
0: Right well we we become a better country when we can look at our challenges. I was listening to someone last night talk about that, and he he compared it to Germany, where Germany's done such a good job of looking at that was just an awful experience that we do no longer want to have in our country. And it's out there. The horror of World War II is out there, and a commitment that that will never happen again. Whereas in our country we've got all these southern confederate you know folks and, and statues that we're still you know complaining that we should let those go down because that's part of our history. No, that was a bad part of our history. <laughs> that <laughs> right. needed to be erased. That needs to be like no, we do not we do not associate with that kind of um right. a world where we can own people. Yeah. Oh.
1: Well, you know, too Laurie, I think part of the challenge with that I have with all of the um, southern statue debate, is that the Civil War was a war between the United States and another country. And that was that other country was the South. They, you know, they, they wanted to secede. That's true. They seceded from the Union. Yeah, They were not a, 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 they were not United States. They were a different they even had a president. Right. Yeah. They had they had someone who they were calling their president. At the end of the day, what happened was this other uh, country went to war with the United States and they lost. Right. And they are flying their flags on our land. They are uh, you know, they're still doing the things that they were doing. And there are people that
0: don't want that to be taught. That they're some white, literally whitewashing the whole, uh, you know, history of oppression and oppression of ownership of human beings. Oh, it wasn't about that. Yes, it was. It was about we were owning people, and that's not right. Uh, we're based on a uh, an idea that we're all equal. So owning someone is not creating equality or equity. Well, yeah. my, my friends, I'm only down to like a minute, but we can, uh, do you want a quick uh, closing comment from this discussion today, Lynette, for your reaction to what we've been talking about?
2: Well, thanks for having the discussion. Um, I, of course, I can't think of anything. I'll think of something I'm sure once i hang up. All right. Melissa, <laughs> well, do you want to close out with any uh, closing thoughts?
1: Oh, just that uh, we're doing Foundations of um, Anti-Racism. You get the chance to go through the Racial Healing Handbook with me and my colleagues. We're doing that January 11th. If they want to check it out, they can go to StantonAdams.com and sign up to get on the waiting list.
0: And I will put it on the web, uh, on my uh, Facebook page for Connections Radio Show. Check it out. If you want to continue the conversation and be more a vital part of the conversation, join Melissa. She's going to be doing it in January. Thanks for being with us today and being part of looking at racial healing.